0: X-Ray. It's the Beervana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. We join you from our respective homes in the increasingly wet city of Roses. Oh, I have a story about that. Uh, I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. With me is Jeff Allworth. And this will become very important in a moment. The author of the newly released Peer Bible Second Edition, for which Jeff is on a world tour.
1: Although well, yes. And if by world you mean national, correct?
0: <laughs> yes. That's I mean, in COVID days, that has to suffice. Yeah, no,
1: that's right. If you got into the outskirts of your own city in COVID times, it was a world tour.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, hi, Jeff. Welcome home. Welcome home.
1: Thank you. I've been here for uh, forty-eight hours, and I'm off to Minneapolis in the morning. So there you go.
0: Wow, Minneapolis, the Twins. Yeah, you're going to hit St. Paul too.
1: Well, you know, one of those outskirts. Of COVID's over, right? So I'm
0: going to. Yeah, I'm going, going to St. Well, Paul. Might as well just go to both, man.
1: Exactly, uh, and then you know where I'm going
0: after I go to Minneapolis. Oh, uh, you're not going to tell me Madison, Wisconsin. On uh, Wisconsin, on Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's, it's back to... Touchdown every time. Touchdown
1: every time. Oh, we're I'm proud Badgers.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the Badgers stick.
1: They do. They do. Yeah. But I'm taking my hat and I'm going to wear it proudly when I'm at yeah. Giant Jones in three days' time. Uh And yeah, I haven't been back to Madison in a dog's age, so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it.
0: That's the only thing that makes me really jealous. Uh, yeah. So say, say say hello to my sort of kind of hometown.
1: Sort of. Yep, you have 17 of them. It's one of them. I'll say hello. <laughs> that's one of
0: my, that's a good point. It's one of my hometowns, but one that I haven't visited since 1994. I think I discovered. So.
1: Yeah, I think 95 was the last time I was there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Which
0: is pretty amazing. It um, is. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, uh, when I said the increasingly wet City of Roses, it has been raining. In fact, it poured. There was one period today where it hailed, but, but also a period where it poured. And I think I somehow accidentally left my uh, my sunroof open a tiny crack, and I had it parked. I was playing soccer. Got super drenched playing soccer. Got back into And flight. you
1: thought, oh, oh man, I'm going to get back into my dry car.
0: <laughs> got in my car. Well, it was dry when I got into it. And then when I kind of started going all this water started pouring <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because uh, nice. i little drain holes but I like overwhelmed them or something it was like coming out from where the um, rear view mirror attaches to the to the top of the anyway, yeah. anyway I was just, yes. like you water felt, was pouring feeling. all over me <laughs> and I thought oh yeah this Oregon.
1: so I have a weather uh, related update uh, which this podcast will probably not be broadcast for like 10 days so um just temporal, you know, tip there. But anyway, uh, when I went to the East Coast, so it, it's it's fall here. We had a high of 57 today. Yeah, I got to the East Coast, it was 80 degrees. It was sunny yeah. and 80 degrees. Yeah. It blew my mind. And I thought, uh, I just went back in time to the summer. And it's going to be, when I get to uh, the Midwest, it's also going to be, tomorrow's going to be 80 degrees in Minneapolis. Really? Yeah, I read yeah. something
0: about how the East Coast is going to basically be summer until, you know, December or something like that
1: yeah it's very weird and i'm so excited that we're having the rain yeah, back I mean, and the clouds and the wet and the, the the moss is starting uh, to green plants. up and um,
0: it's yeah it's super uh, nice as long as you size, keep your sunroof 100 public 100 public
1: that's right well now you know <laughs> you just, <laughs> for five months you just were blase about all that well that's now the thing
0: i actually never use my sunroof like never it just i mean i i try not to I prefer not to buy one if I could, if I had the choice on a car, because I just honestly don't touch it. So I don't know how it got cracked. I have no idea. Um, but that somehow happened. I paid the price. All right. Indeed. So, uh, tell us where you, where you have been, and how it gone.
1: It's been uh, exhausting, delightful, enlightening. Um, These things are always unexpected. Um, I met new friends. Uh, I'll tell you the story about the podcasts that we're about to listen to coming up. It was also one of those amazing kind of tales. But uh, uh, the places I've been is I I went to the East Coast, so I flew into uh, JFK. Uh, Readers of my blog will know that that was not a a flight. Um, Yeah, I got there. Eventually, I took a ferry out to New Jersey, went to Carton Brewing, uh, then I went to Bond place in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Then I went to an Irish pub in Metuchen, uh, New Jersey, where John Hall presented me with a proclamation from the mayor of Metuchen welcoming oh, me yeah. there. Awesome. <laughs> that's going right up on the wall.
0: Jeff always day uh, in uh, Metuchen.
1: That's right. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite a thing. I have the actual proclamation. John read it at that event. That's um, nice. Went back to New York City to a new brewery in Manhattan. Uh, that was that was really cool. And it turns out cool. the brewer, yeah, the brewer there, Joe Korea, uh, has listened to us uh, on the podcast, and he has been a reader of the blog for a decade. And he worked at Rogue for a time, huh. so it was like meeting a friend there. That was very cool. And then I was at in Baltimore, Maryland, and I don't want to step on that because that kind of leads us into today's podcast and i'll give some more info on that later but it was um it was quite a quite a trip
2: yeah
0: that sounds both wonderful and exhausting
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's like one one day next event one day next event and so you know you do have to really pace yourself uh,
0: eat well and pace yourself i was gonna say if everybody wants to wants to show you their beer have you yep. sampled their beer? So you I gotta have. be ready. You gotta be ready, yeah. <laughs> gotta be ready yeah. for that. <laughs> so I think
3: that's what Guinness
0: yep. was. Yep, you gotta, to yeah, yeah. That's, that's Any,
1: you gotta, anything, I mean,
0: anything particularly stand out, by the way, speaking of beer?
1: Of yeah, so a beer that uh, will be in your, would live, history, would dance in your dreams was at Bond Place in uh, Bethlehem, PA, where they do uh, traditional um, UK styles. Among others, but they do some lagers too. They even had a fresh hop beer on. But um, they're kind of flagship... Go- they do a mild... Kind of flagship go-to is a cask bitter called Mui. And um, it is something. It is very, very nice. It's actually uh, made with American hops. So right. it, has, it tastes a little bit like modern cask ale in the UK. But it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's around 4%, maybe a little bit less. Full of malt character, Uh, everything about it is completely traditional, except that the 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 uh, hop character is a little bit uh, brighter, a little bit more aromatic than you would expect in you know something like a like a Fuller's or a uh, landlord, something like that. But very English, very English. Like you you know, you somebody flies in from London and tastes that, and it's going to taste like home.
0: And Bethlehem, Um, PA. So the punch. Bethlehem, PA. Yeah. Are down with the British dials there. That's awesome. And yeah, they it's a, serve it. They serve it on cask.
1: They serve it on cask. When yeah. I walked up, uh, Gina Masato, one of the two founders, with her husband Sam, uh, poured me a pint, and we were off to the races. And it's one of those really cool little brew pubs that is a, a a local gathering spot. It's a like a local for a lot of people. Yep. And so a bunch of the people there were just, you know. Walk in every day and, and drinking the beer and and Sam started out serving a bunch of really wild stuff on cask and then slowly dialed it back and dialed it back and dialed it back and at one point he released uh, um, his mild on cask and it was the fastest selling thing that he'd ever released on cask and he knew he had, he had then like slowly Trainses. brought people yeah exactly
3: yeah. what a great
0: yeah what a great story
1: it's very cool Teach it's uh, yeah. Yeah, you get them. You get them in the, through the back door, uh, and it, yeah, it really worked well. Um, uh, Torch and Crown in Manhattan have a flagship uh, IPA that's called Almost Famous, uh-huh. and the brewer there, Joe, has figured out a way to have it have this really, really distinctive melon, honeydew melon note. It's made with Citra mosaic, huh. so I don't know how he did it. Um, when I was there, they were doing. Uh, they had some core samples of. Uh, citra hops that they were uh, going to place an order uh, on hops doing hop selection Mm -hmm. and he's trying to find hops that have that melon note because it's really characteristic of his beer so that was cool and then when I went to Guinness it's interesting they have that an old school beer on tap that they called uh, Northwest IPA and then they also had their regular IPA which was just turning four years old and you know I, I gaffed by saying wait is this the one that you had on Nitro that you were calling Nitro IPA and everybody looked at me like I just farted. Uh, apparently that was not a big beer and certainly not one that they want confused with this this cool beer they had. Uh, and then they, so they poured it for me and you will hear us talk about this on the podcast, which ah, I keep okay. stepping on. Uh, but it was actually the Northwest IPA. It's funny. The, the, the first one was the Northwest IPA from 2003 right. and the one they make for their flagship is very Northwest. It's, uh, it's not... Super hazy, but it's kind of cloudy in the northwest way. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very juicy and aromatic, but um, uh, balanced and and a, and a, and a decent little. Pop of bitterness, so it, it, you know, it's something in the vein of, uh, of a breakside or a, you know, uh, an ecliptic or something that we would just totally recognize here. So it's funny they they brewed the north, the thing they call a Northwest IPA, but it's kind of old school. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm tasting a lot of good beers.
0: Well, speaking of getting to the suburbs and calling it a world tour, I can hardly get out at all. Had to had to get my uh, phone fixed at the. Uh, apple store downtown and i had some time to kill while they were fixing the phone so i went as you do to buffalo wild wings don't judge sure. don't judge sure. <laughs> had, i mean that's... they had the spanish league game on the big screen at the bar uh but what they had on tap was uh weinstefan Festbier. it is ah, october nice. it was fabulous it was fresh it was perfectly presented uh so yeah, a little, little think... hidden gem i wasn't expecting much when i walked into buffalo wild Wings. <laughs> yeah least, i think it was great
1: Everything, every single pub and brewery I went into on the East Coast uh, had an Oktoberfest on, and a few of them had already had Oktoberfest fests. Uh, and and there was a lot of talk of how seasonality is kind of coming back after COVID. People are really, uh, you know, focused on the the movement of seasons since it seems like it's been we've been trapped in amber for uh, a year and a half. And that was interesting to me. It was uh, people had 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 gone into Oktoberfest more, you know fulsomely than I have in, in in years so that's it was, interesting
0: it was funny because i sat down at the bar and the bartender comes up and says hey what do you what do you want and they're like, oh, I'll, i'm checking out your taps because yeah they, they actually have a pretty uh big selection there and a lot of local oregon beers and he's like oh you know we got this ipa and that ipa and this super ipa and this double ipa and this hazy ipa and i'm like no actually i'll have the one over there the, the microphone please i was like oh, oh okay don't think uh, many people come in looking for that. Uh, good man. All right. Well, why don't we? Uh, since you stepped on it so much, uh, we should recover. <laughs> we should recover today's topic. Um, do you want to introduce, or shall I read your text?
1: Oh, read the text, and I'll
0: I'll add. All right. So, uh, quote. <laughs> Uh, today we <laughs> beam into Jeff's book tour and take you to a live recording uh, uh, of a stop he made at Guinness's Open Gate Brewery. Yeah, I think in Baltimore, I, I Maryland. The,
3: the best part this
0: was Baltimore a planned stop on the so tour, the and Jeff, to brewer Sean Brennan, and Guinness's um, ambassador yeah, Ryan. Wagner. Uh, <laughs> Wagner. uh spoke in Wagner. front of uh, <laughs> know, <laughs> Well I was you know, just to on
1: All
0: right, Ryan Wagner <laughs> it, spoke in front of an audience <laughs> when he was involved. In little, uh <laughs> so we get to listen to that. Anything yeah. else you want to do to set that up? You know,
1: Guinness yeah GTA so we had a discussion about this and i swear to god on zoom uh, and i swear to god they said oh yeah we have all kinds of equipment it'll be great you just uh, show up we'll take care of it uh so produced? that was in my head classic alworth um, debacle so i show up and they look at me and uh, i just walk in I'm, I'm, or i i'm don't do even we have, we I ready, have my bag i just have my sign-in pens see, and that's <laughs> it and they say uh where's your gear and i say creating uh i thought you had the gear and they said we're a brewery. We don't yes, have any so gear. What are you talking
3: about? East Coast, East, West,
1: uh, so it seemed like all was going to be lost, but uh, the folks there knew a local podcaster whose name is Aaron Aaron. Dante and, uh, and his podcast is called No Picks After and, Dark, and, uh, and it has twice been named by like the um, Baltimore Sun or some uh, local organ I mean, of repute uh, the best podcast in Baltimore. Uh, in wow. And he amazingly brought his entire kit down, which included on a moment's uh, notice, yeah, on a moment's notice, uh, including a mixing board, uh, three mics, yeah. I know it was amazing. So we were able to sit down. We had uh, a few people there who were listeners to the pod or readers of the blog, uh, including John Hubble. You may remember from Washington D.C. reading his.
3: Yes, uh, I do remember. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. he was there. Uh, we've read his email in uh, the pod in the mailbag, so that's cool. Um, and it was fantastic. We sat down. At my in-laws, uh, Brian and Melissa. Oh, sorry. Doug and Melissa. I'm tired. Uh, Brian's the other brother. Not married to Melissa. Uh, shout out to them. We also went afterwards. Uh, Brian, uh, Ryan Wagner, who's known locally as Wags, uh, took us to a new place called Guilford Hall for a pint with the in-laws. So it was, it was a fantastic time. Uh, and I felt like I, I was really delighted to meet Aaron, who recorded this. Uh, and he has already sent us the audio files, which I have forwarded to... Uh, producer Will Romy. So all we're doing is doing an intro outro now, and you can listen to the podcast and then we'll, uh, that uh, will be done. Your, your work is uh, going
0: to be easy today. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm here for. Here for the easy paycheck, man. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I'll double it for you today. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's listen to the uh, interview.
1: All right, here it is. So this podcast is uh, typically situated in Portland, Oregon, which is very far from Baltimore, Maryland. And most of the people who listen to the podcast in our part of the country will have never been to this facility. So I'm sitting here looking at uh, what I learned when you started this place. We're called Rick Houses, and we're sitting actually in a former Rick House. So... One of you two want to talk about uh, this facility and what those are and how you got here
2: and what's going on? Yeah, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. Um, This facility has been around for a long time. It was founded in 1933, right after the repeal of Prohibition. In many ways, the once again legal alcohol industry was reborn, uh, at least for the state of Maryland right here. began its life as the Maryland Distilling Company, eventually became Calvert Whiskey, which is a brand that a lot of people in this part of the world are very familiar with. And then uh, in the 1960s became, became home to Seagram's, which is certainly a brand that a lot of people are familiar with. In 2001, Seagram's became part of the Guinness and Diageo family. And so that's how it kind of came into our world. We built this brewery or began construction on this brewery back in 2017. That's when I joined the team. That's when Sean joined the team. Uh, and uh, since then we've created something that I think is as unique as anything in the world. It's a 260 year old global brand that managed to create a local bar. Uh, if you look around here, you're not going to see too, too many people that are traveling from out of state or from, from out of this part of the world. I think almost everybody that's sitting here with us today is, is from within 50 miles, and uh, that's something that's, that's pretty remarkable.
1: Many thumbs up to that comment, so I think many we're right. Up. Yeah, yeah. And
2: to Sean's credit and the rest of our brewing team's credit, in, in just over three years, more than, I think, 275 unique beer recipes were changing every day the way that people perceive Guinness because, Jeff, as you know well know, For many people, Guinness is not a beer. Or excuse me, it's not a brewery, it's a single beer. Wait a second, it's not a beer? (laughs) (laughs) Something changed, I'm confused. For many people, Guinness is not a brewery, it's a single beer. And so what we try to do here is remind people that, hey, Guinness has been innovating, they've been creating, they've been working with different styles and different processes and different ingredients for the entire time we've been in business. So what we're doing here is not necessarily new. I think what is new is the type of creativity, innovation, eclectic, Uh, work that we do here at the brewery which is kind of the heart of american craft beer that's what we get to do here every day
1: okay i want to come back to that but i'm i'm curious uh to talk a little bit more about the facility so we know that uh the famous guinness stout draft extra and foreign extra is brewed in in st james gate uh in dublin but what do you guys brew here and on what kind of equipment let's talk about that
3: yeah, I mean, we our, our heart and soul here is the, the Guinness uh, Baltimore Blonde. Um, uh, that, that's a main size, 100 hectoliter brewery, um, full you know capacities of doing at least at least six brews in a 24 hour period. Um, that's our bread and butter. Um, it's the most uh, complemental or or different beer, uh, going completely opposite of the Guinness draft. You know, we're going towards a Blondale, um, nice uh, bouquet biscuit uh, biscuit flavors with this nice sort of citrus uh, floral bouquet that that, that with it.
1: And it, so you have, am I, am I remembering this? Correctly, you have the the big brewery, the Hundred Hack Brewery. Is there? There's a smaller brewery too, right? You, like you brew the the stuff. So we're sitting right next to the tap room here, and you can buy things like the Hellas I have, uh, and well, there's a Berliner Weisse, which is pretty exotic. So there's a lot of different beers that you, you don't do those on the uh, the big system.
3: No, we've got a we've got a ten barrel brewery directly below us too. That is basically our experimental pilot brewery. That's right. I remember that now. We have the freedom to really do whatever we feel like we want to brew.
1: All right, so let you guys want to talk about the beer. I'm cool with talking about the beer. So Guinness has a reputation uh, for well. When I was in St James Gate, I got to meet uh, the archivist Evelyn, and she showed me the cool uh, first the, the 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 oldest logs you guys have, which I think date back to maybe um, uh, 1797, something like that. And uh, it was shortly thereafter that that. Uh, Guinness became a dark beer brewery. Started making porters and, you know, went through that whole evolution. So for uh, well over 200 years, the identity of this brewery has been dark ales. Um, when you guys op- opened an American-style craft brewery, what what was your vision? Like, how do you brand yourself as an American-style craft brewery, making Hellases and and IPAs? Like, what you know is there is there some brand dilution there, or how do you how do you find a unique identity that's still uniquely Guinness?
3: No, I th- I think what makes it uniquely Guinness is Guinness has always been on that forefront of innovation, you know, even creating the the nitro draft that that it's done, um, and it's just following the market. Um, You know, American uh, craft beer Um, industry has been extremely innovative from from creating own styles, adjusting styles that exist to create own styles. Um, And so I think that's what Guinness was trying to follow. And that's that's sort of what we are continuing. We're taking that history that Guinness has preserved and pushing forward and creating a new history and a new future for the brand.
2: Well, I tell you what, Jeff, I think that the. The way you take a brand like Guinness and a brewery like Guinness and and, um, and then head like into then an American craft market the way that it exists today, comes today is to you hire again, American craft you brewers. You know, we have some of the, the so best brewers in be the world that work in problem. Dublin, that work the in, in Ghana, that work nice in Nigeria, price. that work in Malaysia, all over the world. If you want to brew beer in this country and do it in an authentic, meaningful way, I think you have to start with a base of people that have been doing it for a long time. So when you look at Sean, somebody that's been in this industry since he was... A teenager, I think, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I mean, brewing at 17 <laughs> years old, certainly not drinking the product, but
1: that's uh, right. Certainly not. Uh,
2: but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that that was one of the, the great things that in my opinion, all great companies and, and all great people know, and it's that they don't know everything. And so I think that Guinness understood that if they were going to be a truly authentic part of this market, we needed to do it in a way that was authentically us. And when Guinness at any point in its history, has been faced with a challenge or a problem or something that they needed help solving, they went to the sources that had the most information about it. And so for us, being a part of this market as diverse and eclectic as it is, that meant hiring people that really understood this market.
1: So you guys do sell uh, the classic Guinness products here. How much, I'm curious, how many, uh, you know, what percentage of people come in here and they want a Guinness stout? You know, it's, uh, it's really cool you guys make a Berliner Weisse, but screw that. I want a Guinness. So yeah, what's, how's that going?
2: I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. All right, this, this one is, <clears throat> it's close to my heart because I, I think I could work here for the next 50 years and this will be the first thing I think about. On opening day, August 3rd of 2018, the first day we ever uh, opened this place to the public. I was standing right behind the bar over here. Benji, our bartender, is standing right there. I was standing right near him, and I was looking back towards the main doors where your table is set up to sign the second edition of The Beer Bible by Jeff Allworth. Uh, Thank you for that. But uh, I was watching people on that first day come up the stairs and come into the space. And they were all, and we opened the doors to, I think, 800 people in line. It was amazing. It was one of the, one of the coolest moments ever. Yeah. But as the doors opened up on the second floor and everybody came rushing up towards the bar, it was like a movie shot where the camera zoomed in on one face that was not smiling,
3: that was, <laughs> that was
2: not excited to be here, that was, in fact, looking quite angry. And he marched, and I mean marched, hands swinging the whole thing like this, marched up to the corner of the bar, and one of our bartenders... And I I keep thinking, I I think it was Kim, one of our, been around as long as anybody, walked up and I I train our staff here, Jeff. I'm very lucky that I get to train our staff. And whenever somebody walks in and asks for a Guinness, and maybe some of you have experienced this, the bartenders are trained to respond with which one? Because every beer that we brew here is technically a Guinness. It's not a Guinness draft style. We know that's what you mean.
1: Guinness is a beer I'm I'm, I'm right about that Guinness is a beer despite what I said
2: earlier (laughs) so this this gentleman walks up to the bar and Kim walks over and says welcome to Guinness you're one of our very first guests we're so excited to have you what can I get for you and the guy without an ounce of cheer in his voice said I want a Guinness (laughs) and in my brain standing back over here 20 feet away I went Kim don't say it Kim don't say it Kim don't say it and Kim to her credit says which one guy goes I want the one from Ireland. Do you have one from Ireland? <laughs> There's a beer from Ireland that you guys have here. I want the one from Ireland, the, 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 the draft, the Guinness draft. I want the one from Dublin. And she said, well, actually, we have a bunch of beers from Ireland. Guinness draft style, Guinness extra style, Guinness foreign extra style. And I'm going, this is going to end so terribly. <laughs> right? And so finally, he makes his point. Kim pours him a, a perfect pint of Guinness draft style. But as that pint was being delivered, Jeff, in my brain, I'm going, we underestimated these people. This place is going to fail. <laughs> right? I walked away to go deal with something else that was going on. 20 minutes later, I come over, and the same guy is in the same seat talking to the same bartender with five different samples of beer in front of him, smiling from ear to ear. And it literally takes that long. As long as people – you may come in and start with a pint of Guinness draft style. You may end your evening or end your experience here with a pint of Guinness draft style. But at some point, one of our bartenders – one of our servers, somebody is going to implore you to try something different from Sean and his team, and as soon as you try it, that light bulb goes off, and all of a sudden, people are, are absolutely ready to go on this journey for us. Guinness is a 260-year-old book. That's what it is. All we're doing is writing our chapter in it. We're not taking away from anything else that's already gone on, and in fact, we're learning every single day from the work that people have done for the last quarter of a millennium, but we get to add our own chapter. What he, what he said...
1: Excellent. Uh, you can add, uh, uh, I just want to say uh, to everybody out there, we're going to do Q&A, but if you have a question that's relevant to a moment, you know, definitely raise your hand and we'll, we'll get that in here because uh, some good stuff is going by and it may it may go too far by to, and you want to ask a question. So please raise your hand if you have a question as we're, we're
2: talking. I don't know if anybody's realized this. This is not a terribly formal thing that we're doing right now. They realize that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But yeah, guys, if you have questions, fire them away.
1: Just shout at us. Yeah, I want to invite you to do that. Uh, so I, I do think we're you know we've entered. It's not just Guinness, right? It's 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 not just the United States. It's the world. We've entered this world in which uh, Budweiser is not a single brand. There's Bud Light, Seltzer now. I mean, everything is becoming incredibly fragmented. Uh, so let let let's talk about the beer itself and what uh, how you approach. The beer, both in the tap room and then also on the Hundred Hack system. Uh, what what are you guys brewing that's exciting you? And you know how are you thinking about product development? You've got some loggers yeah, on here, yeah, which is right, very nice. Well, I'm drinking well, well, a Hellas. Are, uh, you, know, you have a cool uh, Northwest total IPA, total but you know, you little, let's a master master talk a little bit about the beer.
3: beer. Um, yeah, I think I, th- I think uh, the you know, the best part of what we're doing is that we have the freedom to create whatever we want, whether we're Going into styles that we, uh, uh, you know, that are that are known or ones that are new, and we get to branch out and kind of even styles that have been around for a while, we get to put our little our little tweak on them. Um, You know, Guinness IPA for us uh, here, that one holds uh, a special part in our heart. Uh, Mainly, it was the second beer ever brewed um, on this site in our two barrel. Uh, before we launched the tap room, we're actually, Ryan, correct me, but this is this is pretty much the anniversary of yeah, brewing and creating of the Guinness IPA. Um, we we developed that the the recipe to basically be a East Coast meets West Coast that sort of multi backbone with a little bit of that dryness and and, and a really bold bitterness um, that flows through it. Yeah. And uh, that recipe hasn't changed since the first time we did it in, in uh, October of 2017. Um, you know, pretty much nine months before we, ten months before we opened uh, here
2: in August of 18. Wow, well, so from from a commercialization standpoint, I, th- I think, Jeff, where you're sitting right now is the ultimate proving ground for Guinness. You know, if they brew something like they brewed in the past from St. James's Gate, if you were lucky enough to be at the Open Gate Brewery in Dublin or or... You know, knew somebody that worked over at St. James's Gate and happened to visit the storehouse when those beers were being developed, maybe you got a small kind of glimpse at what might be coming down the pike. If you come to the Open Gate Brewery here, you're going to see five or six beers that we're potentially working on to release out into the world. So, you know, Sean mentioned Guinness IPA. That's a beer that has made its way out into the world in kegs, uh, hopefully at some point soon in cans. Salt and lime ale is a beer that we tweaked and worked on multiple times, made it out into the world. Just recently, we released Eldorado Amber Ale, a beer that we did five different variations on yep. prior to releasing it. So this is a very real proving ground. I mean, this, this is where we do our market research now in living color.
1: So IPA is really, and again, holler if you have a question. Uh, IPAs really are are dominating American tap lists, but you don't actually have that many on. I was really surprised when I walked (laughs) in today that uh, maybe I had like two or three. You know, I don't know how many taps you have, maybe, you know, a a dozen or two. Uh, So uh, a typical American... pub or brewery you're going to find half of the beers are going to be some variety of hoppy american style ale so i'm uh again uh, for us on the west coast uh things are regional i'm wondering are you following is that a maryland you know is that kind of where maryland is or or uh, what's going on with that
2: i think i think our president uh nuno who jeff i think you've met nuno or or if you haven't I, i highly encourage you to I don't think I have. You, you got to meet Nuno. I think Nuno would tell you that we're not trend followers. We're trend setters. That's the line. That's oh, the I see. But uh, no, well, what you... I would say also is that you caught us the weekend after Oktoberfest. Uh, so we've I... got, yeah, we got a lot of loggers <laughs> on. We have certainly, and, and again, if we've got some regulars here, and I know uh, one of our most dedicated regulars is up at the bar right now getting another beer to come back out and join us. Um, IPAs are really very much at the core of what we do, much like, uh, you know, across the country. But. We've got enough room, we've got enough uh, experimentation capability that we can balance our list, uh, I think, as well as anybody. And so you see a a farmhouse red ale brewed with Pretanomyces. You see the German lagers that are on the the last few kegs from what was a very successful Oktoberfest. I also love the fact that our core beers are a white ale, an IPA, a milk stout, an amber ale, and a blonde ale. I mean, there are beers that are going to be here no matter what. Um, IPAs, if you show up, there might be three or four or five IPAs as Benji brings out uh, Guinness IPA fresh out. Of, goodness gracious, look at those. All right, here we go. Yeah. Um, so uh, the short answer, Jeff, is that you caught us on a bad week if you're looking for IPAs. But don't worry, Galaxy IPA, Northwest IPA, lots of IPAs are coming up. Okay, so it's not just a, uh, this was a quirk of timing well
1: i I am curious though uh where i you know where you see ipas uh here in here in maryland on the east coast and nationally uh what do you you know what are people looking for in terms of ipas here the hazy thing has been uh chugging along for quite a few years now is that is that flagging out here is it gaining strength what where are we in you know when you're looking to do ipa development what are you what are you looking at
3: uh, I mean, for, for the brewing thing, I mean, IPAs are IPAs. Hazes are going to be around. You know, everyone thought they were a, a trend that was going to dissipate. But, I mean, ho- hops are hops. The more unique hops that keep coming out, um, the more unique the IPAs and everything are going to be. I think for us, we're just looking for um, all of the styles, really, um, but just keeping that balance, not doing over, you know, not overdoing it. Um, you know, I remember, God, I don't know, eight years ago when... When IPAs was all about IBUs, you know, if you didn't pack as much IBUs into a beer, it didn't matter. Um, for us, it's, it's just more about uh, balance and uh, sort of the, the quality of the beer to the consumer drinking it. Yeah, go ahead, Brian.
2: Yeah, I was, I was just going to add what, what's amazed me, and Sean, you've been in this industry a long time. What's crazy to me, not crazy, but, but certainly eye-opening, is that we've got a, a heck of a lot of guests that walk in here looking not just for an IPA, but specific hops, like, oh, do you guys have a Galaxy beer on right now? And, and I mean, Jeff, think 10 years ago. yeah,
0: That yeah, was not crazy.
2: something that would have happened, right? So, so not only are people invested in IPAs and looking for, I mean, hazy is certainly a buzzword. Everybody's looking for a hazy IPA, a juicy IPA, whatever, you know, whatever the buzzword of the moment is. But there is, I think we're living in a time right now where the beer consumer in general is as educated on beer as they've ever been. And so I think that gives us, uh, it's an incredible responsibility because it's not just about, can Um, we make great beer? And luckily, Sean and the team make incredible beer. But it's also about training our staff, making sure that they can talk not just to the most educated, but also to the least educated beer consumer, right? We want to be able to share these beers across the spectrum of people that come in here. Because this, frankly, is a brewery for everybody, not just if you're a hyper beer nerd. You know, no matter what your education level is on beer, we want to share these beers with you. Yeah, and
3: spe- specifically with hops, too, because, you know, you didn't have the general consumer telling you the flavor profile of what they're actually tasting. Like, like, like Ryan said, you know, aiming for that specific hop in a beer was was unheard of before, you know, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Yeah, totally. Okay, so
1: uh, I think we can. I want to. I want to come back around to the value of having a pub uh, as a brewery and being able to actually talk to con- customers. Like you have a bunch of people here out in front of us who come here who love this brewery uh, and give you a lot of feedback, and that's cool. But uh, before we do that, actually a feature on the podcast that we always Patrick and I always try to have a beer, uh, which we taste and comment on and drink, and uh, we just were presented three glasses of. IPA which I uh half an hour ago offended you by saying oh is that the one that goes to like the the english style the nitro thing or was so i don't even i, I do apparently anything. don't even know what beer we're drinking so <laughs> let's 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 walk people through so keeping in mind that this is a podcast right so uh no one who's who's uh Who's listening is is tasting this beer? So describe this beer: what it looks like, what it smells like, what it tastes like, and let's let's break it down. What what
2: it? Let's talk about this beer. I'm I'm going to defer to Sean, but what I will tell you is this is freshly brewed, freshly kegged about two days ago, and when I just held this beer to my nose, this is my favorite beer we brew, Jeff. All right. All full, right. full disclosure: this beer smells so freaking good right now. But Sean, I'll I'll defer to you. Yeah. So starting off, Guinness IPA. Um,
3: you know, it's, it's a mix of malts. We wanted, like I, I said earlier, it was to be that balance of the East Coast, not the hazy Northwest, but the East Coast malty caramel sweetness mixed with that great dryness, that bitter dryness that comes from the West Coast uh, IPA. So this was sort of our, our take on a blend of it. Um, you know, uh, Centennial, uh, Simcoe, Mosaic, um, those, are the, those are the showcase hops. Um, and then, like I said, you get this amazing aromatic that comes off this beer for me. And again, you get a hint of that, that sweet caramel backbone, but then
2: finishes with a nice bitter dryness that comes off it. Yeah, and the, the color in the glass as well is something that's always been very striking to me, that kind of golden orangey color. Uh, not a hazy IPA by any stretch, but certainly not clear. There is, some, there is a, bit of, of, there's a bit of haze to it, but not in the way that I think a lot of people would think when they think of a hazy IPA. Um, and the, the best comment I can give this beer is uh, working with these guys on beer quality and making sure that our beers are always represented well. There are times where I'll walk up to the taps and, and talk with our staff and I'm going through the beers that we have on the list. Like, well, that one's brand new. I should give that a try. This one's been around a while. Let's double check to make sure that one's doing well. And as I'm waffling back and forth between five or six beers, almost every time our bartenders will look at me and go, you want to get an IPA? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Thanks very much. Yeah, so
1: early on uh, when I came here, you had me talk to uh, folks about some of the beer and just kind of rattle on, and uh, we did a tasting, and it was, really, it was really nice, and one of the beers that you pulled out was what you call a Northwest IPA, and for the listeners, uh, many of whom are in the Northwest, what I would say is that IPA was a Northwest IPA from 2002, and this actually is really characteristic of the way we make Northwest IPAs now. This is much, much more like what what we would consider a modern uh, Portland IPA. It's so it's it. Our beers have looked like this for 25 years. So it's not quite hazy, but it's certainly not clear. It's not, but it's not opaque. Uh, it has incredible aromatics, and it's got a fair amount of citrus in it. And it, you know, the nose is pretty citrusy. So it's. For folks like me, it's a very familiar aroma. I'm actually not getting a huge amount of mosaic, which I love. That's awesome. It's much more uh, uh, grapefruit orange, tiny yeah. hint of pine, yeah. but not so much. No, nope, completely agree with you. And then uh, quite a bit of bitterness, too, which is nice. So it's it's uh, one of the things that's really nice about a beer that has this, these aromatics is you get it in your mouth, and it's got the structure of bitterness to support the aromatics that you're getting so you get that kind of complementary flavor profile which is really characteristic of the northwest and it's it's i I mean honestly that's why we make these beers because that's how we like those beers
3: yeah and and it has the the body of the malt
1: to carry all of that you know yeah malt actually exists unlike in san diego where it's just it's you got to have it for the alcohol, but you you want it out of the way so that those hops can blast you in the face. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, you can actually uh, uh, get the both the flavor and the texture of the malt here. It's a really nice beer. And, and again, this is not the the nitro. I I, I made that. <laughs> this uh, is not nitro IPA. <laughs> I will say,
2: man, this, this is one of those beers that, frankly, I think early on when we when we first opened, this was a challenge. You know, this for for our guests. These these were. People that were coming in expecting one thing and getting something that frankly was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, and to see the success of this beer, how the numbers have continued to grow inside the tap room, um, the you know it's four. I can't believe it's four years old. You know, Sean mentioned that earlier. This is a beer that, in our eyes, or at least in my eyes, is still a baby. You know, we're still kind of figuring this one out and making people aware of it. Um, but it's also just a fantastic beer, and it, you know, it helps to talk about beers like this when. You believe in them personally because I think too often in this industry, you're selling something or you're talking about something that you you don't have a passion for, you don't believe in, and it's very easy with a beer like this to go out and say, "Guys, give it a shot. Like, just try this thing and let me know what you think because it's it's something worthwhile."
1: So who, uh, who, uh, where did this beer come from? Who was the who was the brewer and who 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 helped develop this beer?
3: Yeah, I gotta I gotta give credit to our original. So our, our brewmaster uh, Peter Weens. And former head brewer um, Holly Stevenson were were the the architects of this uh, amazing beer. So uh, h- hats off to them because this this is, like I said this this recipe has not changed since we brewed it. It was batch number two on our small two barrel system prior to our uh, small tap room that opened up uh, as we call it the test tap room um, before we had our ten barrel and the hundred heck um, basically in full dirt
2: construction um but i'll add to that this beer yeah may have been the brainchild of holly and peter but one thing i've always been struck by is it's a really small brewing team i think right now we're what sean eight seven seven people i mean for as large as the 100 hectoliter system is for as much innovation as we do downstairs on the 10 barrel it's a small team and something that's always struck me is that whenever i you know a beer comes up to to my end of the equation on on the taps i'll talk to sean or talk to our brewer todd whose idea was this one and there's always a different answer, you know. Right, and, and, yeah, and I, yeah. I don't mean that this, in a negative way. A secret,
1: I mean, the secrets of the uh, brew house is yeah. There's rarely a single author, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean yeah. Every,
2: it's it's a collaborative effort in the truest sense of the of the word. You know, it's. I often joke with Todd that if uh, on the ten barrel, because Todd is the one who's brewing on that ten barrel most often. If the beer is really good, it's because Sean designed the recipe. And if it didn't do very well, it's because Todd brewed it. Uh, so it's – I mean, there's, there's a fun – but yeah, everybody kind secret. of has a seat at the table for recipe generation, for idea generation. And I think that's the way you create a great brewery. That's the way you create great beer. It can't just be about one person and one person's ideas. I think these guys feed off of each other very well. Yeah, I mean,
3: uh, Ryan spoke on how small we are. Uh, you know, seven, seven people total all going all the way up to the brewmaster, including Peter. Um, and, uh, you know, Ryan mentioned Todd too, you know, Todd Perkins is, is pretty much been in the, uh, innovation pilot brewery since day one. He's been, uh, a part of almost every, well, not, not almost, he's been a part of every experimental brew that we've done. Um, so he, I mean, you know, sort of hats off to him too, cause he's been a, um, a major part of a lot of the innovation of, uh, what everyone here gets to enjoy, um, on our taps. So coming back to the beer,
1: uh, I'm noticing as I drink it that there's a, uh, a really interesting honey note mid-palate that starts to emerge as it warms up. It's very nice. What, what's your malt? Uh, what's the grist of this, this beer?
3: Yeah, most, m- almost all caramel. So it's, uh, you know, pale Vienna um, and then a, a blend of different uh, crystal malts. It's interesting because it's not at all toffee, caramelly. It's it's yep. uh,
1: you're, you've you've used the kind of caramel malts that don't give you the crystal toffee flavors.
3: Yeah, no, it's it, it's a nice blend that just uh, like you said hits that honey note without having honey malt or any other additives. Um, that the idea was to have that that malt sweetness uh, to complement all the hops that you talked about.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, when we were when we were doing the tasting earlier, I was uh, mentioning that that. Rare is the beer that you should only drink in one or two ounce increments. You know, you're supposed to be able to sit with a beer and, and watch it evolve and and see how you know it, it tastes at mid palate, early on, mid you know mid pint, end of the pint, third pint. <laughs> you really want to you want to get to know a beer and uh, and enjoy it. So, well, the other thing I think about this beer that's really interesting is, um, so it's four years old, but it's very contemporary. And I think what we're seeing is. Possibly, I, I'd like your reflection on this as brewers, uh, m- maybe a kind of coherence that's coming to IPAs where we're not seeing a... He- you know, there's different different flourishes. People are trying different things. But actually, I'm wondering if American IPA is starting to kind of become a thing now that, that is recognizable and has a... You know, you can get your hands around it. Um, this does not... It's not like there was a period of time when you, you know, a four year old IPA would have tasted very outdated. Uh, and that's, that's not, this does not taste outdated at all. Uh, so what, where where do you think we are with IPAs evolving and changing and, and have we kind, kind of come to this place where we get the different balance points you have to have for an IPA to be really toothsome and delightful?
3: Yeah, I think, I think, I think brewers are still going to push the boundaries IPAs, I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, but uh, I guess to use certain terms, like I'm, I'm, I consider myself now an old school brewer, and uh, I also like uh, the dad beers in a way. But for me, IPAs terrible. Our <laughs> IPAs are part of my dad beer culture. Um, so I, I think th- the idea is just a really well balanced between malt and hop IPA is where I think uh, the go-to is
2: for that. All right. Just very quickly before we move on, whose idea was this? Benji, is this you? Is that you? All right. So Jeff, I, I spoke to you earlier today and and you mentioned it uh, a few moments ago. Thank you for doing that tasting with our staff. Benji has been with us for a very long time. Uh, we brought him down to this bar specifically for this event tonight. And what I got to say is, man, I I'm proud of these guys every single day. But the fact that we're out here talking about this and he, on your own, brings out samples of Guinness IPA. When I say we have the sharpest beer yeah. team in the business here, I'm not. It's not lip service, man. That. Good on you, buddy. Yeah. No. Cheers, bud. Make sure you put it in the system so nobody gets upset. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right.
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah, so now you guys can try this beer and see what you think of it. Uh, it's possible that you've had an IPA or two in your lives, so maybe you can, uh, you know, yeah, uh, uh,
2: give, it, give that some thought. So, well, one, real quick, Jeff, yeah. one thing you said earlier when we were talking with Oliver Gray, our, our wayward uh, marketing manager, um, he mentioned the word when we were talking about the evolution of IPAs, homogenization, and I loved your response to that, which is it's not a homogenization. We're just figuring out what an American IPA is right now. And so it's a lot of different disparate ideas kind of coming together, taking the best from all of those examples and creating something that is truly an American IPA. And I I think that's in some ways what this beer represents is you know we we joke all the time about this this idea of a mid-coast IPA, which is, it's an odd term because there's no such thing as a mid-coast, but taking what we know from the West Coast style, from the East Coast style, what the modern variation of IPAs are and trying to take the best elements and create it in one single beer. and, yeah, I think four years later, to your point, this still tastes as fresh to me as it did when we first brewed it.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody would taste this beer. And, in fact, we have people here who are tasting this beer. So what do you guys think? Does this taste dated to you at all? Or does it feel like something you would find in a, in a tap room now? Or what, what are your thoughts? Does anyone have – I'm putting you on the spot. Um, but but keep in well, mind that – You find it in a tap room now. It, well, that's true. But you know what I mean. If you, it's like <laughs> brand new, the newest beer. Uh, and also, wait, no one listens to this podcast, so you're fine. It's – you you. you, you yeah. One but they're all here. The one thing that really surprised me about it as an IPA was it wasn't cloying. So the 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 response is uh it wasn't cloying. It it's yeah, go ahead. You no, know, it's not clear. Oh not clear. It's not
3: clear clear. Yeah,
2: Yeah, so you're you're expecting a hazy IPA at this point to be a little sweeter to be a little richer but yeah. Yeah, I think that's been that's that's sort of been the
3: evolution of my career. Um I started brewing in 2002 where if your beer was not clear it, it didn't sell. Like you you couldn't you couldn't drop a beer that had any unless it was a, a specifically like a Hefeweizen or something you it had to be crystal clear. Otherwise, people would be like, what the hell is going on? And then we went that full spectrum where we're just it, protein bombs in a way of just haze, haze, haze. Um, and so I think this is like, like we've been talking about. Is this is sort of that balance of everything. Um, the idea is just to make a really um, palatable beer um, that has that aromatics, that malt backbone. Um, you know, a little bit of clarity because you don't want sediment. Um, But something that's just overall enjoyable for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Any other comments? Uh, We can move on. Yeah. Uh, I think the finish is fantastic.
1: And it it changes. (laughs) The comment Uh, is the finish is fantastic. And then there was an ecstatic uh, hand pumping in the back. Affirmation
2: of that comment. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I'm going to change my description to what he said. Yeah, yeah it was an extremely nuanced and uh, very writerly response.
1: And and Jeff. Stay in your lane, man. Jeff,
2: beca- I would say because this is an oral medium that we're in right now, uh, I would point out that the guy who just said that is wearing a sweatshirt that says lager beer. Which
1: <laughs>
2: I'm very impressed by his description of our IPA, wearing a sweatshirt that says lager beer.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: but also, while we're talking about this beer, I do, because I just glanced at her and I want to call her out, Meg, who is our quality specialist over there, the work that she does to, to help uh, create this experience, I think, is something that can't be undervalued. You know, quality is a pillar at Guinness. It's something that we always talk about. And so no matter how good the idea was when you began, no matter how good the idea was when it was in the tank, if the quality is not there, the beer is never going to arrive in front of the person drinking it the way that the brewers intended. So I think that that's something that we can't talk about enough because... You know, people ask us all the time, with all the experimentation you're doing, with all the innovation you're doing, you guys must you know, must dump beers all the time. And that's not the case. I mean, it's, it's a matter of having a solid idea, putting that plan into action, and creating a beer that is balanced, is drinkable, and even though it may not suit everybody's palate, it's gonna find the palate of the drinker for whom it was intended. And I think the best answer to, uh, and, and I hear Peter say this a lot, I hear you say this, Sean, a lot. How do you guys come up with the ideas for what you're gonna brew? And Sean's answer almost always is, I brew the beer, I want to drink. And that, it's a really simple sentiment, but I think it's an important one.
1: Yeah, it is. It, so, brewers always say that, and it's true. And yet, uh, if you wanted to brew a mild ale, uh, in most parts of the country, yeah, Miles. Uh, well, we, got, we got a <laughs> hell yeah, mild. So, somebody is going to drink those, but they're, they're a little bit of a hard push. So, there's this communication that happens between drinker and consumer. And I wanted to come back to this idea of having a pub is not actually something that is is native to Guinness's uh, DNA, and in, in fact, uh, uh, the Open Gate—the name of the brewery here—is Open Gate, and and it and it follows the Open Gate Brewery that is in, Guin- uh, in in Dublin, and it was a big, it was it was considered a radical departure from the Guinness way when it was opened, uh, and yet, of course, we all know craft brewers know that uh, you have this communication, so you can. You know, you have this idea. You brew the beer you want to brew, and you're going to be able to sell it, especially with the the ten uh, the ten barrel system. It's not like you're going to lose that beer, but you learn a lot talking to customers. You brew, you you put something out there that you like, and sometimes it doesn't sell, and sometimes you put out something weird that you think is not going to sell, and it does sell. What what are you learning here at uh, in 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 Baltimore that has been surprising? Like what, what beer that you thought would go well, didn't go well? What beers did you put out that, uh, you, you know, you thought, uh, no one's going to like that. And it really, it really rocketed. Like what, what, what's been your experience? How, how have customers helped guide the progress of the brewery?
2: Uh, if I can jump in very quickly, what I would say is not surprising to me, but something that we have always tried to create here. And I think that that's really influenced the beer that we make and the beer that sells. I mentioned this kind of in passing earlier this needs to be a brewery for everyone every culture every color every gender every every everything and so i think when these guys go back to the drawing board and are designing beers what must be refreshing and correct me if i'm wrong on this there are no boundaries because you know that every flavor every culture every tradition every heritage can and should be represented. And so the beers that we're releasing, I'll go back to some of the series that we did working with local influencers and local uh, community leaders in Baltimore. Everything from a sorrel spring ale that was Jamaican inspired with hibiscus and ginger and clove uh, to a black IPA with tangerines because that's what spoke to a really diverse group of people from our packaging side, right? Okay, I really want to try that. That sounds totally oh, It, was, it was great, man. Okay. Station at 601 was a good beer. <laughs> and then we, we we brewed a beer with our staff here, with our, our front-of-house bartenders and, and servers, and what they wanted to brew was a blueberry lemon lavender ale because, for whatever reason, that's what spe- that was what was speaking to them oh, at that That sounds point. really awesome, right? actually. Right? So, there are no rules. The only rule is that every beer that we brew has to speak in some way to someone that's represented out here. But the good news is everyone is represented out here and everyone is represented in the team that we have.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, so listeners of our podcast and I think people who follow the industry closely know that we, we've gone through this big transition in the last uh, five years in which uh, it occurred to a bunch of people that... uh breweries are often not welcoming to a wide variety of uh, d- uh, different folks, and that might just be like women, and, and then it, and it, you know, it, it radiates out from there. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, M. Sauter, uh, who does illustrations, uh, is kind of promoting the phrase, beer is for everyone, and in the work that I've done uh, uh, researching the Beer Bible and traveling around the world, I've learned that, you know, beer is, is 12,000 years old. At least the earliest, uh, evidence we have, uh, from modern day Turkey, uh, from a site in Gobekli Tepe, uh, where it was a feasting site, uh, you know, pushes, pushes the date back. And that's, we're talking like 7,000 years before civilization started. So beer is very old. Uh, it's, and it's wherever grains grow. So that's in Africa, of course, uh, Asia with rice, uh, Europe, of course, with, 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 uh, barley and, and wheat, uh, the Americas with corn, wherever you have, uh, uh, grains, you have beer being produced. And so it is this really, uh, ancient human, like one of the, one of the oldest expressions we have in humanity, uh, which is something that's super inspiring to me. So I think, I think it's a nice place to end this before we throw it out to, uh, any questions you might have, but, um it's uh it's it's you know people who listen to my podcast and who read my blog know that Guinness has been a sponsor of mine for a long time and at first i i just was not that connected to Guinness and just uh, was, you know sort of a admirer uh since then i've been here i think this is the fourth time i've been in baltimore i've been to dublin it does feel like a homecoming i'm really delighted to be here uh we need to give a shout out to our production uh our producer
2: I was, I was about to do that. I got you, Jeff, right yeah. here. Yeah. So the the number one podcast in Baltimore, by the way, you're, you're being you're being usurped a bit, Jeff. I, I'm glad that Birvana is here in Baltimore, but the number one podcast in Baltimore is No Picks After Dark with Aaron Dante. And uh, today, two years in a row. Thank you, Aaron. Awesome. Um, but Aaron was kind enough. He is very much a friend of the program down here. When we needed somebody to come down and help us record today, uh, Aaron jumped at the opportunity, and, and he's somebody that I have a, a ton of respect for and uh, if anybody out there is listening, obviously you're a podcast listener, give No Picks After Dark a shot because it's a, it's a great, great podcast.
1: It sounds awesome. And I, ha- I have been really kind of drawn into the Baltimore uh, ethos. So it, 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 in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of Portland because it's very, uh, there's a lot of stuff about Baltimore. That's just like in Baltimore, we don't actually have our own accent in Portland. I hope in a you know, hundred years or something, we'll get our own accent. It would be cool. Uh, but Baltimore in, in some ways really reminds me of Portland in, you know, we always talk about parochial or insular as a bad thing, but it's what gives culture and, and identity. And so I'm actually delighted to learn about this podcast. I'm going to be a listener. So thanks a lot. I really
2: appreciate well, the, this. the One other thing I'll add before we, before we go to Q and a is uh, Portland now has one of the best things about Baltimore. Holly Stevenson. Holly Stevenson.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 uh, our city has poached one of your finest. So yeah, she's, but she's, and, and actually we've lost her to distilling. She's not even going to be making beer. So, all right. Uh, I want to thank again, a deep, deep, uh, appreciation to, uh, Aaron Dante for recording this and bringing his equipment down and everybody at Guinness, and especially including Sean and Ryan for joining me. That was a lot of
0: fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so you have to wait it. to
1: listen to it because you haven't heard the taste. I than I'm,
0: I'm still told her that I wasn't invited. I know. Sorry. Damn. Yeah,
1: it's, I, think, I, think they're, I think your invite's coming. It may have gotten lost in the mail.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's All right. That's how it works. All right. Uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to Jeff at beervanablog or on Twitter at beervana pod or on Instagram at beervana pod. The problem is Instagram; I don't use that regularly, so uh, if I don't respond right away, or Jeff, yeah, Jeff's got it now too, so you should respond right away, Jeff.
1: Yeah, we'll try. We'll try. You know, we're old men; we got way too many social media accounts. We'll do the best the we can.
0: But then it all went down the other week, the other day. So you know, I it's guess, true. I guess now the other week. Uh, so you can't rely on Insta anyway. All right. Uh, uh, Jeff right. blogs at the Beerbonna blog. By the way, Jeff, congratulations. The best beer blog in the world. Well. I think it's like an a, a Academy Award, right? An Oscar.
1: Yeah. It's not really the world. It's the North American Guild of Beer Writers. So. Close, close. But everybody everybody in the world enters. And I always get beat by some
0: foreigner. Damn it. Really? Is that true?
1: Well, not always. But, no. but, but often, I mean, not, but I mean but it's, a, it's,
0: a, it's a global award, even though it's awarded it, in, in, in uh, North America.
1: Yeah, it is actually global, and in fact, uh, two of the biggest winners were uh, Irish expats living in uh, Belgium who oh, followed. I know those w- bastards. Yeah, they followed women there, <laughs> and uh, they won like half the awards. So you know, yeah. I know it.
0: Luck of the Irish. Well, as I said before we recorded, uh, you're like Mar- Marty Scorsese. It took them a while, but they finally rewarded the true class. I'm the Marty Scorsese of beer blogging. The I like it. Marty Scorsese of beer blogging. <laughs> so congratulations for that. So you blog at the Beervana blog. You tweet at Beardvana.
1: And you tweet at Beeronomics.
0: You indeed. We have All nothing right. to cheers with because we're not actually. I have tea. I have my nice hot cuppa here. <clears throat> Excellent.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's getting late on a Sunday night. And I got to get up and go to Minneapolis. Tomorrow. Okay. So that's my, my beer <laughs> All
0: right. <laughs> cheers, Jeff.
1: Cheers, Patrick.